Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Wednesday, October 4th, three days from Wake Forest's visit to Death Valley. On the front page of TigerIllustrated.com right now is Paul Strelo's midweek recruiting insider. Always in depth, always a must-read if you are a Clemson recruiting junkie. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Okay, two guests today. The first is Tim Cowan, the man who has been behind the last three opposing head coaches who have won at Death Valley since 2016, and the guy who told Cowan's story for the first time last week for the state newspaper, Chapel Fowler. All right, here we go. Great stuff on both counts. Enjoy. Okay, joined by Tim Cowan, who went a bit viral last week, I guess courtesy of me. I don't know if I should apologize or or what. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Good morning. Go Tigers. Yeah, what... Uh, well, first of all, I know you're a realtor. I know that after uh, I w- after people shared that with me amid the uh, fallout from from my posting the videos of the three videos of you, you're in the Atlanta area. Just tell tell listeners about yourself, your story, and we'll we'll just get started with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I live in uh, Marietta, Georgia. I was actually born in Atlanta. Lived here my whole life, except for my great years when I was at Clemson, but moved back here after graduation and uh, been in Cobb County, Marietta ever since. Got a real estate business, been doing that for about 17 years now um, and enjoyed it. It gives me the time and freedom to go to attend a lot of Clemson games and travel and follow them. So works out great. I have a lot of past clients and friends from the Clemson area um, that I work with. And so it's always fun to be able to talk to Clemson people throughout the day. So it makes my work a lot more enjoyable. My clients are Clemson fans. Were you able to get any 
Were you able to uh, do any more business as a result of your uh, of your increased uh, profile over the last week? Uh, not uh, my my business don't move that fast. It's a long <laughs> a long process. But you know, I got several emails and and texts and things. And you know, one of the guys said, "Hey, that's my realtor." And um, <laughs> I actually was um, showing some houses this weekend on Saturday. And when when they got there, they're like, "You're the most famous person I know right now." <laughs> so I just kind of laughed at that. So um, it's always fun to talk to people that uh see it be on there and so it was pretty good i your your article or your um tweets were were interesting because i'm not really on twitter and so people started sending it to me and i'm like oh crap i guess i better figure out how to get on this or x or whatever they call it now um and see all that but no that was that was fun and interesting i enjoyed uh seeing all the responses to it so you did not have a twitter account until this I think I had one because I, I mean it was set up, but I like I had to go. I said, "Well, I better update my profile and put a picture on here or something," <laughs> um, you know, just to go look at all the other stuff on there. But no, typically I'm a Facebook guy, just go on there and and do everything. I guess those old people—that's where we hang out now. Twitter. I never just I never got a tied into that as much probably looked at it more over the last week than i've ever in my life um and i guess you you ventured down in the, into the comments which I w- is not advisable because twitter is kind of a wasteland like you, i'm sure you saw some <laughs> you saw some positive but also some people who were call, calling you names and uh you know saying this guy's crazy and this and that uh, what was that like for you Oh, you know, it didn't bother me one bit. I kind of look at it and I'm like, none of those were Clemson people for the most part. And uh, just sitting there saying stuff, you know, that's what they do. They're just going to go out there and talk bad about somebody that they're envious of. And, you know, I'm sure their team hasn't had the glory our team's had in the last 10 years. So it doesn't bother me one bit at all. Let them be jealous. So what is your routine? You said you you follow Clemson home and away. What's your typical travel routine during the season as far as how many games that you, you normally attend? Yeah, I've been a season ticket holder since I graduated. And so I go to all the home games. I've probably missed just a handful of home games at all, any game. Um, and this year was one of them. My niece got married uh, the first home game this year, so I missed that, Charleston Southern. And that's probably the first home game I've missed in a while. My son um, is in ninth grade now, but when he was playing football in middle school, they played on Saturdays. And I coached uh, his team as well and moved up with him. So some of our Saturdays in the fall, the last three years, have been sporadic, especially early in the season of trying to – Maybe sometimes we'd get there right at kickoff if we could make it up if we had an early game or something like that. But now he's playing on Friday night, so I get all my Saturdays back, which makes that a lot more enjoyable for the weekend. But, you know, I've not missed a, especially like a big game at all. For the away games, typically try to pick an away game to go to every year. If there was a big one, went out to Texas A&M um, and experienced that and tried to – have not got the chance to go to Notre Dame. Missed that one. Uh, 
but definitely want to, you know, try to get up there. But on the wayside, not so much. Um, I went to Columbia when I was in college, and I said I'd never go back to that godforsaken town to watch a football <laughs> game, um, and, and definitely not take my kid there. It was not a good experience to go to, so kind of skipped that one in Columbia every year. All right, so you graduated when? 98. 98. So the 98 Clemson-South Carolina game was in Clemson. So you're talking about you went to the 97 one or 99 one in Columbia? Um, no, it would have been the early 90s when I was when I first got there. We went to some of those games. So probably I went – I started in 91. People say, oh, you was in college a long time. I actually owned a bar when I was in college, so it took me a little – a little while to get out. I changed my major from engineering to business and, and did that. But once I, I graduated, got out of there. But I was actually in Clemson from 91 football season through the 97. I graduated in May of 98. And that season of 98, I did not go to any football games. Being recent graduate, moved back in home. And that was right before I started getting season tickets. So I was like, if I pick one season to miss, that was the – best season I think that was our worst record in, <laughs> ever but since then um been attending pretty regularly yeah but you, you could have gotten a lot of camera time that year oh lord mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. i had to make the joke what okay wait a second you said you owned a bar while you were in college i did all right got I, we got to hear more about this all right. Yeah. So um, downtown Clemson, right across the street from Tiger Town, there's a upstairs. I guess it's called Study Hall now, but the upstairs part of that, um, we owned a bar called Rumors. And <laughs> I remember brought, this. I've heard about this. That bar. Yeah, and we brought. We were the first one to bring dancing to downtown. We had a dance floor on one side and a bar on the other. So it was very interesting. I started working there when they opened. Um, and the guy who opened the place lived in Virginia, moved down to Anderson and just wanted a place for his kids who was in Western Carolina or some other school close by, didn't even go to Clemson just to kind of go to. And he had it about a year and said he wanted to sell it. And I'm like, Hey, I worked there and, you know, bartended and enjoyed it. I'm like, Hey, you want to sell it? Um, let's talk about it. And he kind of thought I was kidding so I called my mom up I was like mama uh, hey I need a loan um we want to want to buy this bar and so I got, got talking to him about it and one thing led to another and then we ended up buying it from him so I ran that for uh four years until I graduated I took a year off changed my got my residency established from Georgia into South Carolina changed my major to business and went back. And then when I graduated, I said, this ain't what I want to do the rest of my life. No way in the world. I got to get out of here. It was fun, but um, the summers were slow. Christmas was slow. But um, Sounds about like it is now. Yeah, yeah, for real. (laughs) So it wasn't wasn't the best business. I was like, I got a degree. Let me go make some real money and not – do this right here. And I looked around at all the other people that worked at all the other bars and, you know, they were 30 years old. You know, I, I go to Clemson now and there's still people working at those bars who were there when I was there. And I'm like, that's exactly what I didn't want to do. I'm glad y'all are here, but uh, you know, I'm glad to be out of here. But, you know, during that time I lived with, um, I had 
a bunch of the offensive linemen that live with me. I got to know um, one of the ones everybody might know is Holland Postel. Yeah. Um, he was there. Zane Lewis, Brent Benasowitz, um, John Thompson. So, like, I lived with a bunch of football players. And next door was Brandon Streeter lived right next door to me and some other guys. So, I, you know, I knew all the football players and was always friends with them. And since we were 18 and up, there probably wasn't a recruit during that time that came to Clemson that didn't come up to rumors. And um, so, you know, got to meet all those as they come through and be friends with them. And Tony Christie was our DJ and he played on the basketball team. And so the basketball team was always up there and, and so forth. So, you know, we tried to make sure they didn't get in trouble and didn't do nothing they wasn't supposed to do. And it was a safe place for them to go. But was always friends with them and always friends with people on the football team and had a passion for for that so um that's kind of where it all was was born it was funny raymond priester was getting inducted into the hall of fame i saw him before the game and he lives here in atlanta uh was up there during our time so friends with him and some of the other people so nice to see the ncaa's statute of limitations on extra benefits i believe has run out so you can safely and freely uh admit now did you give did you give any of those recruits any any extra benefits at rumors no no i mean they would if there was a line we'd let them cut the line you know that we knew the people were kind of bringing them in but you know i was young and, and at that time we were 18 and up and i was pretty pretty strict on not allowing people underage to drink because i knew the the beat cops downtown used to come in there all the time and try to pick on us and pick somebody out of there. I'm like, y'all ain't going to get in trouble here. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Y'all come out here and have fun, but let's not do nothing stupid in here and get me in trouble. You can go to game room or somewhere like that if you wanted to drink underage, but I tried to not let it get out of hand up there with us because I had too much to lose at the time. What did you pay for the bar when you, when you got – did your mom loan you the money? Yep, we. Um, she got a loan on a, a vehicle that she had, and I put on it. So, believe it or not, we bought it. And I don't know if it was a good deal or a bad deal because we really didn't own anything. We took over a lease, and, and they sublet to us, and and everything else. So, we just kind of took the business license, but it was fifteen grand. But that did include, you know, all our audio and video equipment and DJ stuff and some. Um, kitchen type stuff, equipment, coolers, and and then a a lease that wasn't worth the crap. That <laughs> I'm glad my name was never on it to help me get out of it when we did. So how did how did you get out of it? Um. Well, when I graduated, I decided that hey, I didn't want to do this anymore. I needed to go get a a, a real job, and it was the end of um spring semester so i had this summer coming up of three months of like might as well close the doors and not even be open so during that time we just shut it down and took everything and and kind of just let it go and move back and put it behind me so of that 50 so of the investment how much would you say you recouped oh lord I don't know. I, I I didn't have to pay for beer and, and going out drinking anymore. <laughs> so so I probably made my money back in that, honestly. But I mean it 
it was it was not a profitable thing. It was a it was a very cash heavy business at the time. The way the industry was right there, so I always had money. But then you always had bills, and then summer and and December would come, and those bills never changed with the rent and everything else. So the money was all accounted for. So, I mean, it, it wasn't that profitable. I'd say definitely as a bartender or somebody working there, you make more money than owning it. But it was, uh, it was like getting my master's degree and my undergraduate degree at the same time because I learned, I'll take the learning lessons and what it cost me of that um, is worth this weight in gold. Who are some of the bar owners who were there back then who are still down there? Well, Tiger Town TDs obviously still there. Yeah. Um, Jimmy I mean, not, Howard. Yeah. J- J- Jimmy Howard used to come up all the time and raise hell, want to know where's everybody at? <laughs> they coming down here tonight? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And so then then he'd be in his truck heading back home by about eight o'clock, and I'm like, Jimmy, nobody ever gets out that early. <laughs> you know, it'd be eleven thirty before they show up. Uh, very rare would he be still down there then, but Nick's, I think, still there. Um, Tiger Town, J and JC, it seems like they've sold a lot of their ownership to some of the people that work there that's been there for a while, so there's a lot more owners of that now. Um, and then up the hill, uh, Pete's Place, what is it called? Backstreet's. Uh, Backstreet's. Yep. Uh, it's, it was still there, and I think they had just started toying around with that downstairs part of that it didn't it, they didn't have that part when we were there it was just the upstairs but um and then obviously so club i guess it's gone through some ownership changes since then but then there's a bunch of new places now um but i don't know that's, a, that's about what i remember it's crazy i'm a, a i've been a huge fan for a long time of a band uh, from Athens called Widespread Panic. And just literally like a month or two ago, a friend of mine found <clears throat> some old set list or something or some some record of some account of Widespread Panic playing in Clemson at a place called Rumors. And my friend said, "Have you do you know where this place was? And I said, I have no clue. But this, mu- this might have been late 80s before you got there. Do you recall Widespread Panic ever playing there? No, we never had widespread panic. I had Run DMC come up there. What? Spin records after they played. They played at the intramural fields. It was some kind of fest we had with a bunch of bands. Driving and Crime was in town, and Run DMC was kind of the headliner. <laughs> and um, they, uh, a guy that owned a business around the corner, I think it was like a T-shirt graphic design place or whatever, was the one that was putting on the concert and they needed somebody with a beer license to sell beer there. So somehow we tacked on my beer license for the beer sales there and was backstage and run DMC was getting ready to go on. And we're just sitting over there and comes up talking to him. And I said, Hey, y'all stand in town afterwards. What are y'all doing? I said, I got a bar. I'd love y'all to come down there. And he said, yeah, we, we'd like to do that. And I said, you know, you can give a shout out everybody here and just tell them you're going to come down there and uh, then come down there and just spin a record for me or whatever else. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. How much, how much is it worth to you? Or, or he asked me, like, how much is it worth to you? 
And I'm sitting there going like, oh, shit, I got to pay this dude? <laughs> and at the time, I don't know why, but I had $500 in my pocket. And I was like, I'll give you $500. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, and I pulled it out. And he's like, all right. And I said, but you got to let everybody know you're coming down there. So he kind of gave a plug for it. And then they came down there and hung out all night. And um, probably the funniest story of that situation was, you know, they come pull up downtown. And so our bar is right there on the corner where Sloan Street turns in the road. Well, they come pull up in a white cargo van (laughs) with no windows in the back. And they're all in there. And they had a a white guy driving. (laughs) And he pulls up right on the corner and stops like right in front, like not on the road, but on the sidewalk in this white cargo van. And he rolls down the window and the smoke that just comes barreling out of out of that van was like, I'm like, dude, you're in downtown Clemson. Y'all better get that out. Y'all better move right now. These cops will be all over y'all. And uh and then they called him Reverend Run. He was sitting in the front seat. So he was I guess he was clean at the time, so he wasn't participating. It was everybody else in the back. So he kind of pops out. So comes on in, wants to see what we got, and then they go park the van somewhere and came in later. I don't know where they went. <laughs> but, uh, but I was like, oh, Lord, last thing I need y'all to get caught doing that right here in front of in front of my place. <laughs> but um, he came up there, and I actually got a picture of him in the DJ booth, and he probably spun records for about 30 minutes with Tony up in the DJ booth, but that was good. Um, we had Hootie and the Blowfish, when they played in town, they come up some for I don't know how they showed up in our bar, but they pulled up right in their tour bus right downtown and got out and ended up coming up in in our place and hung out for a while. So and, and I thought it was cool at the time. Now I'm like Darius Rucker, like I should have been mean to him when he was up there knowing <laughs> how much he hates Clemson now. But you know I was just starstruck to kind of have them come in there. But we did do some. Um, some when we wasn't doing dance music, we did have some local bands that would come up there and would do kind of just a band uh, scene and have some different people come through there. But widespread panic would have definitely not been one of them. And I think in the late '80s, that would have been a bar up there called either Upper Deck or there was one more name that I recall that was before us up there. Um, the library or something maybe. Uh-huh. I think that's right. Um but I didn't know I never went up there then. It's crazy. I'm sitting here staring at an, the the vinyl the Run DMC Raisin Hell album that a friend of mine two weeks ago he was a good friend. Then he became my best friend when he just out of the blue decided to order me the Raisin Hell album from I guess nineteen eighty six. Uh, so that, that that's amazing. They were actually uh, in your establishment. That, what a great story. Yeah, that was fun. Um, all right. So the the sensation that was created when you went down to the field behind Mike Norvell, I honestly can't rem- can't believe that I remembered, or my I don't know what provoked me to say. I'm going to check and see if this guy was behind other coaches. And I guess there aren't that many losses to choose from, so it's pretty easy to pull up YouTube. (laughs) 
Um, but I about flipped out when I saw when I saw you behind Pat Narduzzi in 2016, and then I flipped out even more when I saw you behind Shane Beamer last November to the point where my family was upstairs and they came came running down the stairs asking me what was wrong <laughs> because they they thought something was wrong. I just was I couldn't stop laughing for probably two days straight every time I I thought of it. So what so is it are you on the field regardless after every game, win or lose, and it just so happens that the only time that you're sort of featured is when there aren't that many other Clemson fans on the field because when they win, it's a mob scene with, you know, 10,000 people on the field. Is that the way it normally works? Yeah, I mean, I'm at the bottom of the stadium, and, you know, like if you try to leave and go up, even at halftime, it takes 10 minutes just to get up the steps and get around there. So it's an easier exit for me to go across the field and out of there. <laughs> um, I've been bringing my kids since they were born um, up there. And Cody, he loves going down there and trying to get a wristband or a glove or whatever it may be. So after the game, we've always went out there and and kind of um, ran out there to kind of get to some of the players where, you know, he wanted to get to. And as he got older and whatever, we'd just say, hey, we'll just meet over here at the goalposts. Um, and then I'd start, you know, going. I think some of the bigger games when – I guess ESPN puts it on and they put the camera over the top of the field that's on the the wire, this, you know, remote control that goes over and they'd come in there for the interviews and that camera would be, you know, hanging right above you. So it's kind of everybody just gravitates right in there and was always winning. It was always a win. So we'd get down there and um, see whoever was there. So then once in a blue moon we lost and I'm like, that's still my route. <laughs> you know, out of here, <laughs> and and win or lose, the players still give away their gloves to the little kids and stuff. So the kids kind of want to go. So I think the the Pittsburgh game, I just honestly just stumbled out there, and everybody was in shock. And by the time I get to to midfield, they got the cameras there. I kind of walked behind old Pittsburgh coach, and I'm like, you know, shaking my head in disbelief and. The funny part about that game was our, our season tickets where we sat at the time, the Pittsburgh kicker or, or the wave opposing kicker has their little kicking stand set up right there in front of us. And his name was Blewett. And so he already missed something earlier. We Our, our little section was giving him hell that entire game and we were like you know you blew it you blew it you know just hollering at him and you know he'd give us a chuckle back there and you know some of the players would kind of just laugh because you couldn't help but laugh and the dudes over there kicking in a net you know over and over well then the game comes down to him you know and just like oh my god it's gonna come down to blew it you know you're gonna blow it and he comes out there and nails Drills that kick it. And I don't know if I ever got anything on video on that, but he comes running back over there, pointing the finger, kind of uh, smiling. And I'm like, oh, Lord, if, if anything. But there's been a, a bunch of those kickers over there that would chuckle and, and get on uh, a lot <laughs> over the years, but didn't work for him. But anyway, after the game, just got down there, and I was probably like everybody else, just shaking my head, going, I can't believe we just lost the ball people Pittsburgh. 
it's just what it is. Um, and then we know the win streak after that of, you know, years and years go by before we lose another home game. And last year after the South Carolina game, it was kind of the same thing. They just ended up on the field down there where he was at in the mob of all those Carolina fans. And I'm like, you know what? It's still our field, and and we're going to come down here and, you know, do whatever. And I ended up behind the coach, and I said, well, I'm just going to poke my head in there. And I really didn't, you know, know that it was going to be, you know, right there that I was on camera. And then for this one, I actually planned the Florida State one, but we were planning on going down there for Dabo, not for the other coach. I was like, hey, it's going to be a mad scene when we win this game, you know. And my buddy that went up with me um, – Tim Brisbane, I told him, I said, hey, after the game, and my son had left and went and sat over with the recruits, which is about diagonal across from where we were at about halftime because he knew some other guys over there getting recruited. Um, and I just texted him. I said, hey, I'll just meet you out there at the goalpost after the game. So then game goes to overtime. We're sitting there going, oh, Lord. And then all of a sudden the game ends, and I kind of sit there in my seat for a second. I'm like, oh, damn. We just, that's the end of the game. We just lost. Like, and, and I look around and everybody's the same way, kind of just in shock. Like, I can't yeah. believe we just lost this ball game. And um, I probably sat there 30 seconds and, you know, just in disbelief. And I go, oh, shit. Well, I guess the game's over. <laughs> better get over the fence and people start hopping over the fence so if you're down there on the bottom and you don't hop over and everybody's everybody's just running around you so it's either get out of the way or whatever else so when i jumped over right there and i realized i started running out on the field i'm like well i guess everybody's still in shock because not many people are out here and then the florida state fans are running and I said, well, I'll just run over there and see what's going on. And sure enough, by the time I got there, they started interviewing them. So I was like, well, I just shake my head on this one too, but I can't believe we <laughs> lost to them either. We should have won. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, they hurt. Don't get me wrong. I hate losing more than anything else in the world. But at this point, it's like, hey, we ain't going to lose all of them. And don't worry, y'all ain't going to see me out there again because we're going to win the rest of these home games this year. Um <laughs> And, and start another streak, but I don't know. It was just a happenstance that it just happened those three times like it did. So are you purposely putting yourself in the camera frame or you just happen to end up right behind the head coach? Well, you can see the camera. I mean, you just, where they're sitting there, there's usually like on the, uh, that Saturday, there was two cameramen, one kind of on both sides of them. So you just kind of <laughs> just looked at the camera, but I was talking to those cops and I, I was sitting there, you know, cause they're all just standing there, you know, they don't smile. They don't do anything. Just, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this. Like we missed the field goal. Like really? And then uh, probably about 15, 20 seconds into talking to them, I realized that they're Florida cops. They're not South Carolina cops. So, so they're Florida state fans probably yes, you know, definitely. All looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, none of them are responding to me. And I'm like, well, Hell, all of y'all are Florida State fans here, so <laughs> just, you know, whatever. I don't know. It was, it was kind of funny at that point, but, you know, if you're there for 10 seconds, then you, my phone starts vibrating because somebody's going to text me or call me like, you're on TV. <laughs> and then it's kind of funny at that point. 
Now you were saying something when 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 Norvell walked by after he finished. You said something to him, or or it looked like you said something to him. Do you remember what you said? Probably just good game. Yeah, to to him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going. I'm not going down there to, you know, try to be in a story for doing something stupid, right? I right, mean, or or any of that. Like, you know, it ain't none of my business to try to mouth off to the other coach after the game. So I just, you know, good game. I saw Dabo walk by right after that and told him, "Hey, we still love you. Stay in it." I, you know, I didn't like personally talk to him. Just hollered that to him as he walked by, but um, you know. I got. I, I'm coming to the game. Whether we won the last one or lost the last one or whatever else, we're gonna we're gonna be there regardless, win or lose. So, fortunately, it's more wins than losses. Chapel, a lot. Yeah, Chapel Fowler, who uh, he writes for the state newspaper, covers Clemson. He wrote a fantastic story uh, about about this phenomenon last week, and I think he put it perfectly. He said, you give off the vibes of a parent who's, quote, not mad at you, just disappointed. Is that, <laughs> and that's what, and that's the way it comes off, too, when you're watching it on TV. It's just this, uh, uh, I don't know, um, friendly disappointment, I guess you could say. A per, a disappointment with perspective, you know. Is that, is that, uh, does that frame your mindset pretty accurately? Um, yeah, I mean, we just made mistakes. Like, we didn't get beat. But we made mistakes. But, I mean, you got to go back and look at some of the games. I remember when we played Louisville here, and Louisville stepped out of bounds That's right. instead of stepped in the end zone to win us. And yep. then you like, you know, we never should have won that game. I mean, there's, you got to be lucky. And, um, you know, I think in the past is we knew how to win football games. At the end of the day, like when we needed to win, like we knew what it took to kind of pull out the win. But – we're struggling with that and having a bunch of young guys and, you know, they're out there playing their hearts out, but you make a mistake and then you see what that mistake turns into that ends up losing the game for you. And, you know, people want to blame the kicker. I'm like, we never should have been in the kicker's hands in the first place. I mean, you know, it shouldn't have came down to a field goal game. We still had a chance to win it, but getting a sack fumble return for six, that lost the game for us, not the missed field goal. Um, but, you know, stay in there and close and, you know, we'll win more than we lose. But I think at that point in time, everybody's, oh, blame Dabo this and Dabo that. I'm like, y'all, people need to just chill out, <laughs> you know. Ain't nobody going to do a better job than what he's doing. And as an alumni, to be proud of your program, not just a winning program. There's a lot of dirty programs out there that win that you say, well, shoot, you wouldn't want to be a part of that, but – as an alumni, and the respectability and what he does for the program and so forth is beyond measure. And I tell you, over the years, I've taken my son to football camp ever since he's been old enough to go. And they let the parents kind of follow the campers around and go to all the drills and indoor facility or wherever it may be and watch all of it. And one of the great things about that was I learned more listening to him talk to them about my own self and my business than they ever learned about football out there because it's a lot of life lessons and a lot of, you know, learning how to control what's between your ears and this and that. And, you know, it's not – I think one of his quotes was it's not people don't remember, you know, your mistakes. It's how you respond to them. And 
adversity and have come through that type of stuff. And, hey, watching these guys lose two games right now, I'm like, you know, I guarantee if they put us in a playoff, we're still in one of the top teams in the country right now. Nobody has an unranked team right now with what we got going on. Nobody wants to play. Vegas knows kind of where we are. And I think this team gets some momentum going towards the end of the year. Nobody's going to want to play us. And it'll we'll be the best two-loss team in the country when it's all said and done. I guess what I'm saying is, is to me at least, it's kind of refreshing. Um, you know, because in the aftermath of a loss like that, there's shock. Uh, there's people just totally losing their minds and saying, fire this coach, fire that coach. And to have someone such as yourself who it's more like, yeah, well, we'll get them next time. You know, disappointed, but you have that perspective because I guess you remember the times when they would, you know, when they're going, <clears throat> excuse me, three and eight and and losing a heck of a lot more games than they are now. Oh, I was a lot madder back then. I mean, really, you know, we get mad at every game and just like be like, I can't believe all this right here. But I think, you know, having a kid and, and having them there – and they're going to see how I respond, too. They're looking at me and how I respond to understand all that. It's like, well, you got to show them that, hey, you can't win all of them. You still got to keep your head down and go in there. And, and we're not out there coaching. We don't know what's going on in practice. They're doing their own thing. And for some of those kids, that gives the younger kids a chance. And I always, I always like staying at games. People would be a blowout. People want to leave, and they'd get mad at me because they went to the game. I'm like, we're not leaving until the game's over. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's 55 to nothing. We got young guys in here playing that I want to see out on the football field that, that might be playing for us one day or don't ever get a chance to play. You know, So we're out there watching them and so forth. So there's a lot more – you know, when you're around the program and everything else, I mean, you you care about the ones that never get in the game that you got a connection with or, you know, that guy was uh, his coach at Dabo camp, so he got to have a little relationship with him, so he wants to see what he was doing and so forth. So, um, you, you yeah, you mentioned, I, I, I don't want to lose, but I said I don't, I don't want to lose at all, but, you know, when we do, uh, there's a lot to be learned from, losing is it just as much as winning you mentioned blowouts and staying for the duration I, I i went back to the in my research i also went back to the uh 2013 game against florida state and looked for you when they were interviewing jimbo fisher and i couldn't find you were you on the field during that game and what what uh what, what, what was your whereabouts well oddly enough i was actually on the field uh pre-game because um, we got recognized for being Ipte rep on the field. I think that was Ipte rep day or whatever. So before the game, we was all in the end zone, and they do the recognition, and they run down the hill. So we was on the field when they ran down the hill and so forth. Well, after that, we had to go get in our seats, and the only way to get in the seats was to kind of walk through the tunnel area right there and back around and come back in the, the gate. There was no way to get just from the field up to your seats. And by the time I got back to my seats, we were already losing 7 nothing, And that's when I think it was Winston or whoever quarterback yeah. was just threw that perfect ball right there in the end zone. And, and I guess it was a route from there on out. And I'm like, that, that we were done. I was like, that was one of the biggest home games of top-ranked opponents and really what we needed to get us over the hump. And we got smacked on that one. Um, 
And quite frankly, after I don't really remember the post game of that, but I do remember being on the field before the game and getting getting spanked. So I'm sure I was out there somewhere. The South Carolina aftermath last year, the interesting thing to me in watching and trying to follow you behind Beamer uh, is that you were you initially you had your spot, but then here, <laughs> but here, here then here comes like a mosh pit of Gamecock fans who also want to get into that spot, and you got pushed out of the frame for I don't know a minute or so, thirty seconds, but then you you persevered, you overcame adversity, and you got yourself back in it, and you even looked a little proud as you stroked your beard. Um, I want to. I want to hear what was going through your mind. Uh, this is what I. This is what I ask football players and coaches all the time. What was going through your mind during, <laughs> during that, during those moments? Well, it was like a mosh pit. You know, you're getting pushed both ways, up and back, and and so is everybody else around you. But you know, the security or the cops and all that kind of standing around. And they're not getting pushed. So I try to get as close to one of them as I could. Where if you get pushed, you get pushed back. But um, a lot of those, you know, were jumping up. And I don't know if they're they're trying to get position. They were just so many of them pushing right and left and everywhere around. So uh, kind of got knocked down. And one dude was kind of just jumping on my back. And I was like, turn around. I'm like, hey, you got to have to stop that. Uh, you were on the ground? Getting on there. No, 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 no. Just, you know, they're jumping up oh, and down see, and yeah. landing, landing on top of you and, and, you know, everything else. And I'm like, you know, they won. Let them cheer and do whatever they want to do. But um, kind of got pushed. And I was like, well, I had to go and try to get as close to this cop as I can where they ain't going to be pushing on them because it was, it was like being in a mosh pit, you know, <laughs> people running right, left, front, back. You, you didn't know which way you was going. But when I'm standing down there, the – the the different part of it is, is what you don't see in the picture is I still have my defense with me and I got a wood it's a piece of wood and it's about three feet long or whatever else and when you're standing in there in a mosh pit and you got a a flat piece of something that's three foot long and everybody's kind of wobbling all around it and I think one of the dudes you can kind of see his head go down he caught it right between his legs on one of them and I think that's how he originally got off my back was I kind of just lifted that thing up and he uh, and I'm like, get off my back. And so I think that's how I originally got my spot back when he quit pushing on me. Well, I could see you yelling something at one point. Is that who you're yelling at, maybe? I don't remember. It does <laughs> uh, that is hilarious. No. But it never got nasty, really, I guess, in that in that mosh pit, as you say. No, no. I'm too old for that. So no. I'm I'm looking at my initial tweet and as of now it has five hundred and ninety three thousand views. Uh what what what's the most, I guess, memorable interaction or correspondence you've gotten as a result of this uh as a result of this circulating? Oh Lord. I mean I've got calls from people I hadn't heard from and a long, long, long time um, along the way, but I get a lot of a lot of you know you know people like like to see it, but it, it ranges from people I went to high school with, and I, one that lives in New York reached out to me just recently, said that one some one of my classmates had forwarded it to him. Um, 
one, one of the strange things about me is, is I didn't grow up a Clemson fan. I didn't become a Clemson fan until I went to Clemson. I being in Georgia, I actually um, grew up a Georgia Tech fan and a anti-Georgia fan. Just hated Georgia my whole life. And when I was in grade school, my best friend, they were a Clemson fan. He always had on Clemson stuff. And um, when I was in the third grade, his parents took me to a Clemson game. And that was, I believe, in like 1983. If I remember correct, I believe we were playing Maryland at the game. And I've stayed in contact with them my whole life and still talked to them. I've seen them at some games since then. And she always, when she gets a post on there, she always loves to tell the story that she took me to my first Clemson game and that I wore a Georgia Tech shirt <laughs> to that game. I said, well, I didn't know. It was probably all I owned back then. And uh, then she said that none of her kids end up going to Clemson, but I did. Uh, and it makes her proud. And so she loves telling that story. And that was Miss Daniel. I heard mix in elementary school, but uh, I still owe her. She, she, she takes credit for me being a Clemson fan. Wow. Well, Tim, if there's nothing, we, we, go ahead. We saw uh, the other part of that again. We saw um, the refrigerator. Perry was there. I think Michael Dean was playing and he was there and he had um, 50 yard line tickets whatever else and we were sitting kind of towards the end zone and at halftime he saw me and john and he gave us his two ticket stubs to go sit in his seats so we went and sat on the front row on the 50 yard line right behind the clemson players and so i never will forget we get closer to the end of the game now we're not sitting with his parents at this point it's just us and i think we're like in third grade and he and he tells me he goes um after the game, we're going to jump on the field and go get some gloves or some wristbands or something. And I'm looking at him like, you're out of your mind. Like, we're going to get arrested or, like, you can't jump on the field. Well, sure enough, game comes to the end when everybody starts jumping over the field. And there was a play that comes out of bounds on that sideline. And for some reason, we thought the game was over, but it was a couple more seconds and everybody's flooding over. And I remember flooding over the the field right there and uh then they had to go back out there and run another play and we was all stuck kind of trying to on the sideline right there to to end the game but he ended up getting some nice wristbands and all that and i ended up getting somebody gave me their mouthpiece and i'm like what in the world am i gonna do with somebody <laughs> nasty mouthpiece so i didn't get a wristband or or a glove. I didn't know how to really ask anybody. I think by the time I figured out you had to ask them for it, they done gave everything else away, and the only thing they had left was their mouthpiece. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was my first experience going on the field after the game. Well, Tim, I am so glad we were able to connect. This has been an amazing story uh, on a number of levels, and uh, really appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if they're looking for me, this year, it's going to be after a win, not a loss. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here first. 
upstate folks and particularly Clemson area folks, there's a great tradition that's been going on recently in Westminster, the Music on Main Free Music Festival in downtown Westminster. I can vouch for it having played there and also attended on several occasions. It's put on by the Westminster Music Center, a nonprofit organization with the mission of promoting the joy of live music in the community. Saturday, October 21st, will feature two bands, the Songs from the Road Touring Band and my band, Amongst the Trees, although I won't be there because I have to work. There's a football game that day. Classic car show starts at 3, concert starts at 5. More info, go to westminstermusiccenter.org. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positive stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Upstate foodies, want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco. Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails, super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willy Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willy Way. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. All right, joined by Chapel Fowler of the State Newspaper. How you doing, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Larry. Yes, I have. We've been. I've been talking to you, saying I need to get you on for quite a while now. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you wrote about Tim Cowan last week to uh, to to make it a uh, to, to 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 hasten the hasten that process of bringing you on. So, man, what a, I still can't stop laughing every time I think of 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 the story itself uh, of of a of a Clemson fan going. Uh, behind a visiting coach uh to 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 give his uh his sort of two cents and as you said perfectly i thought giving off the vibes of a parent who's not who's quote not mad at you just just disappointed so uh all right i want to hear how you uh how you pursued this story and um i just want to dig into it because it's just um i don't know if we 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 cover enough of of fascinating fan behavior as, as the media uh, side of it. So let, let's just dig into that from your, from your end. Yeah. Uh, well, it starts with you, Larry, cause you're the uh, detective <laughs> that, that figured out somehow, <laughs> some way I'm more impressed with that than I think you are with, with what I did. Um, we've talked about how you found this, which was unbelievable. Um, <laughs> but that, that was the first thing I saw was, was your uh, post on X, formerly Twitter, um, about this and, and those three videos. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is hysterical. Um, and I, and I saw it, it was Sunday, right? The Sunday, yes. just the day after FSU yes. day after FSU when you put it up. Um, 
so I don't know. I saw it whenever it posted morning, afternoon, um, and it popped up on my feed again just because it was getting so much traction. Um, so we retweet, shares, comments, everything. Um, and what I'll do sometimes is pop something like that just in my Twitter bookmarks to, to come back to mm-hmm. a day or two later when I have some time. I'm actually on the clock and, and looking for stuff. And I was like, you know what? Let me let me come back to this and see if I just click around just within this post itself, I can figure out who that is because I think that would be a hilarious person to talk to. Um, so I kind of perused through the replies uh, on Monday and then it had traveled kind of across the Clemson interwebs at this point, significantly to the point where a few people were in the comments like, yeah, I know the guy here, are his initials. I don't want to say what his name is. He does my real <laughs> estate. And finally someone was just like, yeah, this is Tim Cowan. And I was like, there we go. Um, a quick Facebook search corroborated that it was in fact the same Tim Cowan because he was in his uh, jersey and gear and had the defense sign in the picture, um, which someone else had also mentioned in the comments. So from there... Um, I Googled him, uh, I Googled his name with Georgia attached to it. I think there were a few Tim Cowens on an initial search. Cause it's not the most unique name ever. Um, you know, for you kind of need to condense it a little bit. So I think I searched like Tim Cowan, Georgia, um, and maybe put real estate in there. Cause someone had mentioned that and lo and behold, found his real estate page. And it was really as simple as it was like 2 PM on a Monday. And I was like, shoot, let me just go for this. If it doesn't work, it's fine. If I leave a voicemail, nothing happens. It's fine. I'll move on. But I, called the real estate number and it said, um, you know, press one for this, two for this, three for this. It was an office number. And it said, press four if you want to talk to Tim. And I'm, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. So I, <laughs> I pressed four and lo and behold, Tim Cowan sitting in his office, just, just hanging out maybe on a lunch break or something, um, picked up and I told him who I was, what I was doing. He was obviously aware of the video at this point. He gotten a lot of people sending it to him, was already getting a kick out of it. Um, and I was like, we can talk later whenever. And he was like, you want to talk now? And I was like, sure. So we, uh, we talked then and I wrote it up Tuesday. It's so funny. I, I was seeing this, getting the same sort of comments from people saying, I know this guy, you know, TC yeah. and even a guy, Michael Bays, who, who I, I know, um, fairly well posted. Yeah, this is, he's a great guy, blah, 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 blah. But I was hesitant. I'm like, because you have this, image in your head or you know there's a possibility that this is just (laughs) some creepy fan which he's not obviously after you talk to him and after i just did normal dude and has a really refreshing approach to clemson football and that he's not devastated he's has great perspective of hey it used to be a lot worse in the old days and so you know hence the not mad at you just just disappoint you know um this sort of benevolent uh, disappointment, I guess you could say, but I just couldn't bring myself to, to try to get in touch with him because I was scared of, all right, is this just going to be a real estate guy who wants to promote his company? Is that, is that why he put, put his mug behind the, behind the coaches those three times? So I was, I was actually really happy that, that you, that you <laughs> tracked him down first and not just tracked him down, but also, that she, that he was such a good story and you did such an artful uh, job of weaving that story uh, in your article. Uh, but just amazing. Like, and I had, I, I don't know if he shared this with you, but he, he was a student at Clemson for seven years <laughs> in the nineties. Wow. I did not hear it was seven. That's awesome. And he owned a bar while he was a student and 
actually got Run DMC to come play there one night when they were in town playing at a bigger concert, which just blows my mind. So uh, amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't know about the Run DMC. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I think, and then you hit on it in the intro. Um, and I, I've done a few of these, at least on the Clemson beat, and I've done them in, in previous stops before. I think it's it's really refreshing and, and grounding and fun. And honestly, one of the reasons we do what we do is to find ordinary people like that who aren't the $10.75 million coach or whatever Dabo Sweeney's making this year on his contract or aren't the five-star recruit. They're just a person who likes a team and, and does something funny or goes viral for something. Um, you know, a story I found just by, once again, I, I cruise Twitter sometimes at that site. I know a lot of people have thoughts on it. I am, I am there as long as it exists because it has helped me a lot <laughs> in my yeah. job. Um, you know, I found through Twitter, a story about a, a guy who went to 50 consecutive years of Clemson football home games and wrote a story about him right after the orange bowl. And, um, there was that kid dancing and grittying at the uh, Clemson Miami game. I think it was, um, and went mega viral for just like revving up the crowd. Um, found his family on Facebook, I think two days later and, um, did a story on him. Um, so those social media platforms are awesome for helping find those stories, but I think they just kind of speak to, you know, college football is not just coaches or, or players. There's, fans and people who sometimes just get on the field and somehow sit behind a coach in in three straight post-game interviews over a seven-year period. Um, And that stuff is just as entertaining, if not more entertaining. Um, And it's just cool. Like, everybody has a story, right? So um, it's cool to also cold call somebody and then to kind of trust you right off the bat, right? And be like, yes, I get what you're doing. I don't really know you that well, but I trust you that you'll do this right and portray this right and um, put my story out there. So that's another kind of flattering, cool part of any of those instances. But yeah, more fan stories. I'm always for them. Another thing he shared was that when he was standing there behind Mike Norvell, that he was standing right beside the cops, the troopers, and he just keeps turning to them and saying, I can't believe we missed that field goal. Gosh, I can't believe, man, just uh, so disappointing. And then they weren't saying anything. They were just stone-faced. And then it took him a, a couple of minutes. And then he realizes, oh, they're Florida. <laughs> they're from Florida. They're with, they're protecting Mike Norvell. So, of course, they're not going to share in your disappointment over the Miss <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, it's interesting. I know you 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 monitor Dabo's radio call-in show from time to time, or maybe regularly every week. And there's a dichotomy between those types of people who, most of whom, are just, "Hey, Dabo, we're with you. We love you. God bless." And I met you this time, and you know, ten years ago, and you've done so much for our program, and we appreciate you so much. Between that crowd and the crowd that you and I are probably subjected to a lot more, whether it be Twitter or message board or other other platforms where the loudest and most aggressive voices are usually, uh, you know, predominate. The, the people who actually are out there are the ones who tend to be the most forceful with their opinions. And even when we're at games, you know, you can hear the random fan, you know, screaming, you know, 
come on, Wes, you know, you got to call a better play than that, or come on, Dabo, or, or, you know, just really expressing frustration and and getting mad about it. But it, what fascinates me is it really feels like the majority is more like um, like him and like the fans who call in to Dabo's radio show. They just they want the best for their team, but they're not going to get um, – their lives aren't going to be shattered if they lose a game and they're not going to be calling for coaches to be fired and this and that. What do you think about that whole dynamic? Yeah, it, it was refreshing to talk to Tim and hear that perspective, and I agree that's probably a larger percentage of any given fan base than you realize. Um, the angry takes are what gets Twitter buzz, and I mean, it, it's for our industry too. You know, you're you're going to get a lot more eyeballs and attention on a story about one coach making a dig at another coach than another coach, you know, showering another coach in love like Dabo Sweeney and Dave Clawson seem to do every time they play each other because they have so much respect. Um, it's just kind of the nature of everything we got going on right now. But yeah, I think, I think the way Tim put it to me and put it to you, I think it was very smart and astute kind of the idea of, you know what? I'm a Clemson football fan. We have had this excellent run over the last few years. We lose a game. I'm just going to have some fun with it. Shake my head, go home with my family, live to see another game. And then hopefully win that one. Um, you don't really see that in Twitter replies uh, after a Clemson loss, but uh, it's cool to know that that's still out there. And I do totally agree with you that that's, I don't know if you want to put a pie chart percentage number on any of those things, but in terms of crazy fans, sane fans, I think there's a lot more sane ones than we realize sometimes. How um, sort of linked do you feel like you have to be to Twitter during a game over the course of that three and a half hours or whatever, how much time do you feel like you have to spend on it just every day as just making sure you're not missing something or just keeping up with general themes and maybe picking up a good story here and there? Like you said, how much, how much, how wed to it do you have to be to do your job? It's, it's pretty significant for me, I'd say, and maybe, more so than it needs to be. I just, I enjoy Twitter as a platform already in terms of the, the jokes and the, uh, Intel and conversation I'm able to have, um, with, with friends, my girlfriend, um, various group chats of funny DMS all the time. Um, that's, that's fun to me. So outside of work, like Twitter is definitely an entertainment and social platform for me that I probably use a little bit too much for my own good. Um, <laughs> but I think it's huge for, like 21st century journalism for better or for worse. Um, that's the first place I'm going to see big news. First place I'm going to often see a cool idea to pursue. Um, cause everybody's on there. Everybody's posting everything. I think it's, um, it's annoying. Sometimes you wish you could totally unplug. Um, but it's, it's kind of necessary at least for, for me and my role. And I think like where I am coming in, um, I mean, you, you're a Clemson whiz. There's a lot of Clemson whizzes around. Uh, I need a little boost sometimes. So I think social media, being able to monitor that helps me uh, stay on my toes, um, especially on like a newer gig. Uh, during games is a whole other thing. I think we could talk for an hour about that. I, I don't love the idea of being in the press box and head buried in the computer when the game's right there in front of you. I think I've heard you talk about that on your podcast mm-hmm. before. Um, so I try to limit that stuff. Uh, you know, I'm never one to tweet full play-by-play, uh, maybe some observations loosely at the end of each 
quarter, if there's something we can see in the press box that maybe you can't see from the broadcast, I'll, I'll do something like that. But I really do try to sit sit and soak in more than anything else because I feel like I'm not really. It's almost like why are you there at that yep. point if, if yep. you're kind of just head down, you know? We we my paper writes uh, buzzer game stories, so that that's a big commitment for me in the second half um but first half especially and that's just kind of the nature of the business again i'm not complaining about that that's kind of the way things are like you need something immediately post game that's kind of what you sign up for but first half especially i really try to sit soak in notice stuff make notes of stuff um and kind of use that in-person access which not everybody gets to my advantage so the state uh, is behind a paywall of course um how do you balance and how does how does the sort of the uh, sort of the institutionally the priority between okay we we want people to subscribe to our to what we're offering uh and we don't want but we also want to be a presence on twitter so people can notice what we're doing but you don't want to make people feel like oh well i can get everything chapel has if i'm just on twitter yeah our our company mcclatchy has changed philosophy on that a few times as has my previous company Gannett and probably every single newspaper company out there. I think right now off the top of my head, we're in some type of setup where we're doing some experiment where everything is metered maybe. And what that means is um, instead of a hard paywall, it's a situation where you get five stories a month, something mm-hmm. like that. And once you get past five, you get a little pop up. Hey, by the way, you're at five. Do you want to subscribe now? So it's kind of not as soon as you click on it, um, it's either pay now or never, never read these words again. Um, it's kind of a mid ground. And I think we kind of balance that. We, we balance the two of them, you know, if something's viral, viral, like with hurricane coverage or something like that, um, or coverage of a mass shooting or like important stuff. And I think a lot of papers do this, like they understand the, the value and importance of putting that out there as soon as possible for anybody to see at any given point. And I think there's levels to that, like with stuff that, I don't know. Sometimes you get a story, you see something, you know, is like going to be viral. And maybe that's an instance where that's one where you open it up because you know, you can get really good readership on something that maybe doesn't take you too long to spin together. And then you hope that, you know, a steady diet of that and then smarter stuff, analysis stuff, and then maybe some, some big stuff. I mean, everybody says you always want to write stuff that nobody can get anywhere else. If you, you can't really do that every single day. I, I think it's really hard if you can do it, like you've solved journalism. Um, but as long as you kind of mix all that stuff together, I think kind of the, the bet that at least my paper's making in most places are is that the, the combination of the, the short stuff, the quick hit stuff, the meteor stuff, and then the really unique stuff can maybe draw in people a little bit more than super hard paywall or nothing at all. Um, but I think everybody succeeded at every level of that model. I know y'all are kind of in a hard paywall situation yourself, and obviously y'all are doing quite well. <laughs> um. Do you have a set amount of stories that you write every day or is it just pretty much when something's newsworthy, you write it? And also, is it, I I don't think that you're one of the sort of, um, your model that it doesn't feel like, let's say Paul Feinbaum says, Dabo Sweeney's a jerk, that you have to turn around and write a story in the headline, you know, clicky headline Paul Feinbaum says that between is a jerk or what's the sort of what's the blend there in terms of y'all's philosophy yeah that's that's a really um good question it's one of the smarter ones that I feel like I get from people outside of 
journalism or media, right? They, they think, oh, is there some quota, that type of thing. I have, interestingly, I've never had a story quota anywhere I've worked, um, whether that was an internship or out of college, full-time or, or internship stuff. Um, I think the best way that I think about it is kind of each week is its own beast to tackle. Sometimes it's really busy. Sometimes it's not as busy. And you're kind of just employed to meet the moment. Like Clemson, Florida State week is pretty busy, right? Clemson, Charleston, Southern week may not be as heavy on drama or big decisions or injury updates. Um, I think you kind of just go with the flow and I try to do a good job of if I see something that I know needs to get turned right now, I do that. If I see something that I can pocket for a day, I'll do it that way. And I kind of just try to stay consistent with that. Um, we are definitely not immune to the occasional uh, fine bomb aggregation over at the state uh, just because of the, <laughs> mm-hmm. the weight he carries in college football. Um, for better or for worse, his opinions matter. <clears throat> Excuse me. His opinions matter a lot on, on South Carolina, on Clemson, on everybody else. So that is something we monitor, but that's definitely not um, everything. I give it like if I was if I was knee deep in the Tim Cowan story whenever it was a week ago, and and Feinbaum said something about Devo Sweeney, good or bad. Um, I'm not in a position where I would need to like drop everything and pivot to yeah. that. Um, I think it's kind of day by day, week by week, but some days are more quick hit days and some days are more deep in depth, ready to feature all day and spend time on that days. And I kind of like that balance, but I think it's different every day, which kind of keeps you on your toes. So if we're at a Tuesday Dabo press conference and in the middle of the press conference, he says, uh, Antonio Williams has a sprained ankle and he's going to be out for two weeks. Does that mean right away you're having not just to, you know, put tweet or whatever that news bit, but you're having to open up a, a story uh, shell and, and, and write, get it done as quickly as possible with a headline and all that stuff and send it in? Is that how it works? It works that way, but on, honestly, only on a certain level. I think kind of the way that we think about stuff is um, the biggest news possible. You know, a, a season and an injury to a prominent player or a, a decommitment from a five-star or um, – what else I was going to say? Um, I don't know. An incendiary comment or something that's just like so funny, so viral. It has to happen now. Um, Dabo uh, portal I, comment. <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which we get a lot of. Um, <laughs> I think, I think there's kind of, there's almost like tears in my head and in my boss's head, Dwayne, who, you know, um, and I think everybody kind of has their own way of thinking about it, but there's some stuff at a, at a, it was like a boss above my boss and not my direct boss, but a guy named, Dan Spears over in the Gannett sphere. Oh, yeah. He does a great job. Nice to work that, with Dan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's awesome. Um, he just said offhandedly one time, like just before you do something, think really hard. Like, is this just, is this just a tweet? Could this just be a tweet? Um, so, you know, Antonio Williams ankle injury is maybe just a tweet. If, if the news is that Antonio Williams is out for the year, that's more than a tweet. Um, it's kind of the way I think about stuff. You almost, you elevate the level of work, um, that you want to do on any given topic based on like how important that topic is in the grand scheme of things. Your father is Scott Fowler, highly prominent, highly successful uh, sports writer, columnist for the Charlotte Observer. I'm just fascinated about that background, your upbringing, and just maybe give our listeners a better picture for, for how you ended up doing what you're doing now. Yeah. Happy to always brag on a, my dad, who's awesome. Mom as well, get her in there. Um, but they are the best parents, and I'm lucky to have them. Um, 
I, I think one thing being the son of a sports writer taught me early was that it's a job, you know, it's not fanboy paradise. Um, you know, dad was always around with us, but also sometimes he'd have to leave for three weeks for the 08 Beijing Olympics. And we could only talk to him via the most like archaic webcam ever known to mankind. Um, I can remember sitting up on a crazy time difference for him to like say hello to us when he was over there. Um, and there are late nights and no, for like the love of God, I can't get you an autograph and I can't get you a picture. And I can't get you free <laughs> tickets. Um, I think you always, you always, when you get those questions, you can always answer them with grace because people are usually asking that just because they, they care about what you're doing. They're excited about it and they want to learn about it. Um, so you never want to shoot that down or be snide, but I think he, um, just in the way that he would do stuff, I think taught me a lot about, you know, here's how you can do this job that, yeah, of course it is fun. Like it's cool to cover sports as opposed to maybe this office job or that office job. Um, but there's still like work that goes into it. There's long days and hard days and you have to work really hard to maintain a balance between that and family stuff. Um, so I think I kind of learned that through osmosis, um, just feeling it and seeing it from the kid perspective of, of having someone who worked so hard on so many things and had so many crazy travels and, um, long days, but still always found time for us. I have three, uh, younger siblings as well. Uh, two brothers and a sister. Um, so I think that was huge and I never got forced into anything. I really stumbled across it myself, thought it might be something I'd be interested in. Um, went to UNC, got into the journalism school there and basically spent four years doing that in the daily Tar Heel student newspaper, got some internships and kind of, it was more just work, work, work and figure out if you like it than anything else. And I did enjoy it and kind of just went, internship here you know I, I had a very we, we talk about the minor league system for journalism that doesn't really exist anymore where you you start here then you go here then you go there um that's kind of eroding a little bit just with a bunch of small papers getting shot down um but i started at a super tiny weekly paper right outside the triangle in the smack middle of covid i was part-time there for a few months and I was a full-time sports editor, the Chatham News Plus Record, which is <laughs> a place that I'll always hold near and dear to my heart. I had an awesome boss there, Bill Horner. And then from there, it was kind of a next step up to kind of quasi-recruiting college sports role within the Gannett system. I was technically working for the Fayetteville, North Carolina paper, but I lived in Raleigh the whole time, which they preferred. So kind of another unique, you know, just find an opportunity, say yes to it, and figure out how you're going to tackle it and then uh on to this one which is kind of the the third gig and and i'm glad to see it's kind of like a step each time right um so one job leads to the next and you don't regret any of them um but kind of step by step piece by piece and obviously i have a i guess i always joke i have a great mentor like when i i don't have a room in my house anymore obviously now i haven't <laughs> for a while but for the longest time um I had an awesome mentor, literally three steps to my left because his office um, was like right there next to my upstairs room. So um, dad's been awesome and has never told me do this or do that uh, at this point where we've for a while now, we've kind of just been like colleagues in the industry and we'll swap stories. My mom will roll her eyes sometimes at how I get home and we just blah, 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 like chat about the most <laughs> like niche media stuff like for hours on end. She's like, y'all need to y'all need to stop and lay off just for a second. Um but he's, he's been nothing, nothing short of excellent, um, in supporting me and helping me out when, uh, when I do ask. I know from my perspective, working from home. And as you mentioned, there are, there are some tough, you know, har harder days than others. I would say it's 95% the, 
not easy, but days where my family really can't, you know, tell one way or the other, where it's just normal, you know, just another day. There's, there's dad, you know, doing his thing, being dad. But there are also harder times. I would probably say coaching searches is probably the, the hardest um, because you're just on the clock the whole time, on call the whole time, and you, the rest of the family just just sort of feel it. Not that I'm screaming at my <laughs> my wife and kids or anything, but there's kind of a palpable um, stress during those times. Did you do you remember um, being able to pick up on what it what type of situations were the hardest for your dad as you were growing up and sort of observing observing and and sort of learning more about about what he did? Yeah, um, I think anything big involving coaching searches or is a coach going to get fired or not fired. Um, the whole Jerry Richardson scandal, which kind of brewed for a while and then finally came out. Um, I think it was like the morning of a Panthers Packers game with a sports illustrated story, but no, I mean, there's just an extra, extra level of work required in those situations. And I can, I can remember situations where he had, you know, step out and like take that important call from a source on something, um, or, or kind of pivot. I think he might've been driving, driving back from, um, Boone and App State where I have two brothers. I think he'd like helped out um, one of them with a car issue or something or, or had spent the night up there and had to pull over on the side of the road because Jerry Richardson like had just died. It was announced and, and communicate, hey, here's my obituary that I'd written a while back is like, hey, here's how to get it up. What else can I do? And you're kind of just stuck in that spot for a second with nothing to do, but do the best you can. Um, so yeah, I think I've seen a lot of those, but I will say he's always handled them with a ton of grace. And as, like you said, you're never, <laughs> it doesn't mean you're like snapping at anybody. Um, but you do just kind of have to take a deep breath and be like, yeah, you know what? Like I gotta, I gotta step away for this amount of time and it, it may be annoying, but it's part of it. And then because of that, I'll get a next Saturday will be easy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cause there are some slow times for sports writers, but it's kind of like when, when it's on, you gotta, you gotta turn it on and, and be with, right there with it. So when Sports Illustrated breaks the story on the Jerry Richardson scandal, is that something where, I mean, it's that's on the Charlotte Observer's home turf. That's something they should, you know, in in, in their minds and your dad's mind, it's like, how did we not have that? You know, is that what do you recall from that? I mean, is that um, just out just from what you were watching during that time? Yeah, I remember I was actually driving home. I was right near home. I was driving back from Chapel Hill where I was in college at the time, um, just to go home for the weekend or something. And I think everybody was like, may have already been in the press box when this, um, was happening or when this came out. Um, so I think what I remember from, from there in was just like, I mean, the game became secondary, right? Um, Mm -hmm. there was just, there was nothing more important, um, than that in that moment. So, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the coverage to refresh myself, but I'm, I think my dad turned like at least one or two column type things on it, maybe more. And, and the beat writers were, I mean, I'm sure they got a bunch of player reaction and, and comment from Panthers and just press box reaction and fan reaction. Um, it was kind of just like scramble mode. Right. And I think that's one cool thing about no matter what newsroom you're in, no matter where you're working, I think like when something big happens, like everyone kind of understands, Hey, we need to, band together right now these might be a crazy eight hours but it's going to be a lot harder than eight hours if we're all doing stuff solo or not communicating or collaborating um so you kind of just go into like overdrive for a second until you're through it and 
it's busy sometimes, but when you're in it, you're in it. And when you're out of it, you can kind of take a deep breath and think about what's next. But God, yeah, that was a, um, that was a wild day just as someone who was, I mean, I was just a college student at that point. I wasn't involved with anything <laughs> coverage wise. Oh, I didn't, wasn't an intern anywhere. Um, but I could tell that was like, stuff is just big sometimes and you know, it's going to be historic. Um, and you just got to try to meet the moment best you can. And I'm sure the observer did think they kill it. So what's the, what's the best thing that you can remember just from being the son of a, of a prominent and successful sports writer? Um, dad and I got to cover for our respective outlets. I was at the daily Tar Heel at the time and he was obviously with the observer where he's been since before I was born. Um, it was cool to be not directly side by side in the press box, but we were both at the February, 2020 UNC Duke rivalry basketball game. The first of the two games, which is always the better one. Cause it's usually on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Um, and the fans are super revved up. That was that insane game where uh, if you remember Trey Jones missed his own free throw on purpose, got it back, made a shot. And then Wendell Moore had the, game winning put back right at the buzzer. Mm -hmm. UNC was up like 10 points with two minutes left or whatever it was. And it was just one of the more all time collapses from a UNC perspective, but just all time rivalry games. Like that's going to be on the ESPN, uh, highlight reel leading into every single Carolina Duke game, like for the rest of eternity. So, um, we do a picture together there. That was fun. Um, he was also the ACC title game last year. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun, we actually sat side by side there. Thanks to, I think some, some switching around by Kevin Best and the ACC comm staff, uh, which I appreciated. That's so, cool. <laughs> that I think cool. um, in these last few years, especially, it's being able to like being able to like share a share a press room um, with him as a colleague is really fun and something we both enjoy. Your name is Chapel. You went to UNC. Have you ever had any problems separating? Uh, sort of, Hey, this is my school, man. Oh, and, and I got a job to do and it doesn't really, I don't really feel it on an emotional level. Can, tell me about that sort of, uh, that dynamic just from your perspective. Yeah. That's something I, I take really seriously. Um, some people might roll their eyes at how much, but I think, uh, given the, the name and the, and the alma mater, it becomes that much more important. Um, I think that I, I want to credit like the daily Tar Heel. Um, I mean, I, I kind of knew, this is, this is how you do stuff. This is how you, um, do the, do the job. Um, but daily Tar Heel, uh, really like gets that out of you real quick. Um, not that I had any issues getting it out of me, but they, they are super serious about, you know, you are, yes, you're a student newspaper reporter, but that doesn't mean you're, you're a fan. Uh, there's this famous, I use it a million times as an editor, everybody before me and after me has used it in the Newsroom, if somebody said we referring to UNC, you would just stop and say, who's we? Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I've heard that a million times. I've said that a million times um, in the office uh, up there on Franklin. But yeah, I think I really didn't have any issues doing it. I think more than anything else, you'd be, you'd be shortchanging yourself if you did. I think operating just under that professional perspective not only helped us at the DTH, um, you know, feel like we were on the level of some of those more established papers and outlets that were covering UNC. Like we, we were treated professionally by their comm staff in terms of, you know, access and where our seat was on press row and all that stuff. Um, so it almost felt disingenuous to do anything, but, um, cover them as, as critically and objectively as you could. So it was big for me. I've never had an issue with it. I tried to 
impart that on the staff when I was a over my head, 19 year old sports editor. Uh, I'm not sure if it worked or not. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it was super important then it was super important. Um, in all the jobs I've had, you know, now covering the ACC and, and before covering a lot of recruiting, um, in the triangle area, a little bit of UNC football every now and then. So yeah, that's never something I've had an issue with, but it's something I take, um, probably a little extra seriously just due to uh, the context, uh, <laughs> especially with name and name and affiliation. We, we've heard about over the years, you know, you have a, a football coach whose son wants to get into the business, the coaching business and the head and the dad's like, no, please, you know, go do something, go do something else. You don't want to get into this. Your father, when, when it was clear that this was the direction you were headed, that you were pointing yourself toward, I mean, you said it a few minutes ago, the farm system, the ladder, the traditional sort of path upward has been disfigured to a large degree in terms of, you know, you started a small newspaper, uh, low, lowest on the totem pole covering high schools, then you work your way up, then you go to a medium-sized newspaper and all that. That whole thing's just been sort of turned upside down. And it has to be that process or, or, or that sort of um, decline, if, if you want to call it that, has to be most poignant and pronounced to your dad, who's been around for a long time and remembers much different days uh, for aspiring sports journalists. When it was clear that you were headed toward that, in, in that direction, was, was his advice like, okay, I don't know if you know what you're getting yourself into, or was it, hey, you know what? I support you regardless, and I think you can make a living at this. What was that like? It was definitely along the lines of absolutely go for it, but know what you're getting into. I think you kind (laughs) of hit on both of those things just now. Um, He was definitely aware. I was definitely aware. Everyone is definitely aware of of where the business is now and how different it is, Um, but he, he was nothing but uh supportive when i think when i said you know i think i'm gonna give this a shot so it's been nothing but that and obviously that comes with um you know sacrifices like if you're getting into it nowadays it's a lot different than it was however many years ago when he started when you started when um even someone who started like 10 years ago i think it just changes every day um i think about it kind of grimly sometimes but in a very like survivalist aspect you know like it, it the job has changed you know my job is not exactly a pure comes to beat writer all the time job. Um, but that's what pays the bills and, and keeps me, um, not on the chopping block per se, not that like I'm <laughs> worried I'm going to get laid off tomorrow, but I, I'd rather, I'd rather be high in, in the metrics and the, the analytics that, that the people at the very top care about than low. Right. And, and what it takes for me to get there, I don't mind doing. Um, I'm not like ashamed of knowing that, okay, hey, sometimes this is going to be a day where you need to write like two or three like quick hit, like maybe somewhat clicky things like roll your eyes at that. But guess what? Like tomorrow is now a free day to pursue something you're interested in, like a Tim Cowan story. So, um, I think there's definitely ways to still make a living in it and stick around, but I think you have to be, um, adaptable more than anything else. And that's something that I, that I really try hard to do. And there will always be a demand for that. If you just keep your head down, be marketable, be versatile, then you'll, 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 You'll have a spot somewhere for sure, I would think. Yeah, um, the, the sports aren't going anywhere. So. That's right. That's right. Um, so, okay, when did you start covering Clemson? Refresh my memory. That would have been June 2021. 
Wait, sorry, June 2022. 22. Excuse me. It was June, June 21st. That's why I said 21. June 21st, 2022. So last June is when I first got on the beat. So a season and a half, basically. Yeah. What has it been like just coming from where you came from, where football, uh, even when North Carolina is really good, it's kind of a casual <laughs> pursuit, I guess you could say, compared to the more cutthroat places like this. What has it been like sort of just diving in to a place where football is the undisputed king and where it's just so important that it's 365 a year. It's fascinating. Um, it, it is a lot different than places in the triangle. Um, one way I think about it in terms of like game day traditions and stuff, like everything, I mean, UNC just like walks out of a tunnel, right? Like you think about everything <laughs> that goes into a Clemson football game, um, from a presentation and, um, you know, hype perspective the the running on the hill and um the bus and everything uh the paul the tiger walk um that stuff is different than, than what i was used to covering and seeing growing up so i think it's fascinating i think it, it, it speaks to the fan base and how um important college football is to not just you know their fan bases, but universities as well. And kind of just the general, I mean, the Clemson South Carolina game colors people's perspective for an entire year, right? Like good or bad, <laughs> the idea of year long bragging rights. So, um, there's been a lot of learning for sure. You're like, why, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Um, but I think the demand is really cool. Um, and offers, you know, good opportunities for one offer, interesting story ideas. Like there's stuff that, um, you or me could pursue covering Clemson football because there's an interest level for it that maybe doesn't exist for another school. So kind of with, with football, it's kind of like the top of the pyramid. You can trickle down into a lot of like interesting stuff, um, more interest surrounding recruiting or, or ticket sales or, or stuff that's for, through public records requests or um, college football trends at large. There's a lot of stuff that you can kind of center on Clemson football and kind of extrapolate from. And I think that's because um, the interest is just there not only locally, but nationally too, uh, with, with the way they've been on the scene for a while now and how, how high Debo Sweeney is in everyone's, um, you know, coaching ranks in terms of, uh, success or controversy or whatever you want to call it. Over the last, I guess, 15, 16 months, what have you learned about Debo Sweeney in sort of observing him from up close and interacting him, uh, interacting with him regularly, that you didn't know when you just sort of viewed him from afar? Yeah, I'd say, um, really detailed, detail oriented. Um, I can't think of a time when we've asked him about injury to player X and he doesn't remember what the injury is. Right. Um, it's very like spokesman of the program. Uh, you saw that this year with the limiting of the coordinator media access. Um, but I'd say detailed and available. I was uh, talking about that with someone a few days ago. I realized that we, we ended up talking with them four out of seven days uh, in a game week. Um, and it's five out of seven if you include the radio show uh, where you can listen <laughs> yeah. into from Saturday post game and Sunday teleconference and Monday radio show and Tuesday midweek presser and Wednesday Zoom. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of time with him every single week. Um, so he's, he's fairly available and he'll, he'll answer anything, which I appreciate. I'm sure you appreciate too. Um, but I think kind of just the, the level to which he's over everything and in control of everything and is so detailed. And, you know, you see those note sheets he'll bring in for midweek pressers. Um, it is very much like his baby, right? Uh, this program. So I think that's like the main thing that stood out to me. 
the Florida State game recently, even though it was a noon game, I don't recall a moment or a game atmosphere at Death Valley that big feeling and that loud since maybe Louisville and Lamar Jackson in 2016. What was that like for you? Was it just, did it just feel, was it from your perspective, was it like, oh boy, this is different than, than even some of the games, some of the bigger games last year? Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, from last year, South what Carolina, I felt like was, a, I guess South Carolina was big. Um, I remember the night game against NC state at the beginning being big just because yep. of the, the stakes there. I think that was the first AP top 10 matchup maybe ever in yep. that stadium. Um, but yeah, Florida state was different. I mean, that was like, I think the fact it was a noon game and it was still like that was what made it so impressive. Um, like people were revved up. Like you kind of just, you watched it and you, you knew like you were seeing an instant classic taking place. And that was because of the game at hand, but it was also because of the crowd. Um, that one was really like a wow moment for sure. Um, I mean, people, people did not show up late for that one. <laughs> it's almost like you can feel a particular identity or energy or message from the crowd with the way they sound. Maybe I'm, I've just been around too many and it means I'm old, but it felt like NC state last year was all right. There's no way we lose this game. That's, that was sort of the feeling from the crowd, but they were still kind of hungry, you know, South Carolina. It was all right. These guys are two town, two, two touchdown underdogs. And, but we're going to be loud and proud because it's our, it's our rival. But Florida state felt more like desperation, you know, just kind of bloodthirsty, slash desperation like you know we can't lose this game i hope we don't get humiliated but then once they sensed that hey clemson's going toe-to-toe with with these guys they're not invincible at all then it just got even more intense and it i don't know it's just a fascinating thing when you get eighty thousand fans packed into a small relatively small place and it just has this this type of energy that feels like each one has its own sort of identity if that makes any sense yeah no i agree it, it's because it's such a it's such a different situation for clemson to be in in a game like that to be the the hunter instead of the hunted um just in terms of rankings and stature at that moment um but yeah i think it definitely built up with every with every drive i think they had a good opening drive in that game if i remember correctly clemson did um like yeah. the longer it went on the more the more like lathered up riled up people got um and there was really no way to slow it down until the very end. Like that, that crowd was in it. Um, one of my favorite YouTube videos is Clay Thompson's like 38 point quarter against the Kings he had in whenever 2015. And he just keeps on shooting and the Kings just won't call a timeout. I'm like, dude, like you'll have to, you'll have to slow this down <laughs> somehow, some way. Um, it almost felt like that. And like, even with all the stoppages in football, um, like it didn't slow down. That was, um, that was big time. Like that, that felt like I said, instant classic. That's kind of how you sit there and you just get an appreciation for something as you're watching it. Like, wow, this is, this is a really cool one to be at physically. And you kind of, you hopefully reflect that in your writing and your coverage, but more than anything else, you should always take a moment to just kind of think, wow. And it's cool to hear you say, um, that that one felt different to you and maybe on the level of that Louisville 16 game in terms of that one. And then this one, uh, as the big atmospheres, that's crazy to hear that even, you think that I feel like I've heard that from other people on the beat too. Chapel Fowler, man, I've really enjoyed getting to know you uh, over the last year or so, and you do a great job. And um, 
looking forward to having some fun times and we'd probably have to have it back back on at some point over the next year or so just to uh talk about the most recent goings on and and hey maybe our maybe our guy tim cowan will uh will uh post up after a win and we can talk about him a little more <laughs> that's great yeah sounds good larry appreciate you appreciate all your friendship support um consider you a awesome person on this beat someone i look it up to and try to model a lot of stuff after so uh thanks for having me on a podcast i've been a long time listener of it was a great time really appreciate the support man thank you you know a big part of this job is the spontaneity of it and this time two weeks ago i had no earthly idea who tim cowan was and i had no earthly uh indication that i was gonna be having tim and chapel fowler on this particular podcast so really enjoyed both of those interviews hope y'all did as well appreciate the support of our sponsors for continuing to help make this happen and most important of course is every one of you for hitting that play button really appreciate it cheers